listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. This is our last Sunday of our summer series, and I've really been enjoying it. Life in the Spirit. Life after Pentecost. The ordinary life, the regular life, the life that we live. And I want to do a little bit of kind of, uh, we've titled today's um, lesson, One and All. But I want to start by kind of doing a quick review, uh, review, <laughs> review of, of what we've covered so far. So we started on the day of Pentecost, and we titled that sermon, E Pluribus Unum the Latin phrase, out of many, one. And we talked about the spirit of unity. So growing up Pentecostal, you know, all I ever heard about Pentecost was that you can speak in tongues and you can prophesy, which I do think is part of what's going on with the power of the spirit. But what happened there is that all of those people from all of those places came together and they marveled, saying, how is it that these Galileans all speak in our own language? One of the tests of the Spirit, whether you know it's truly the Spirit of God at work in your life or in the work in your family or in your community, is that if the Spirit is at work, it will be pulling us together. The Spirit is the Spirit of unity, not the Spirit of disunity. Like that is one of the great measurements of the Spirit. And we see the Spirit at work on the day of Pentecost, bringing all those diverse groups together. Diversity in terms of ethnicity, diversity in terms of age, diversity in terms of gender. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, right? Sons and daughters, old and young, slave and free. From this place and that place and the other place and this language and that language and the other language. One of the things that I've always loved about Oasis, and as long as I'm here, I pray to God that we can continue to maintain this, is that we are a diverse place. We are even a diverse place ideologically, which I think can be one of the hardest ways to maintain diversity. Because when people have different ideas, when they have particularly different like political ideas, they have a hard time kind of worshiping together. But I like the fact that this place, we have folks all across the spectrum. And I hope that's always the case. Lord, make us one. The next Sunday, we titled it Abba Father, the Spirit of Adoption. Now you, might, you might think, why is it that in a series on life and the Spirit, we didn't talk about the Spirit so much? Well, that's because the Spirit is a spirit of deference. That is, the Spirit is always pointing to Jesus, or the Spirit is always helping us pray to the Father. The Spirit is always leading us toward others. The Spirit's not a self-centered, egotistical spirit. The Spirit is the very Spirit of God. And so life in the Spirit is life in God. And we read that passage from Romans that week, that the Spirit has given us, or God has given us the Spirit of adoption. And that bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God and we can cry out to God and call God Father. The next week we titled it, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. I love that one. That was the spirit of truth. If you were here that Sunday, we played that clip of Adele who kind of um, played in that kind of impersonation of Adele impersonators. 
That day we read uh, how the Hebrews wanted a king, but how a king is not the real thing. The real thing is God. That there's all sorts of counterfeits that exist. And some counterfeits might have value, but they're never as good as the real thing. And we discussed the ways in which the world will offer us counterfeits to the fruit of the Spirit. Tolerance, for example. There's nothing wrong with tolerance. I advocate tolerance. But it's no substitute for love. Happiness. I want to be happy. I want you to be happy. But happiness is a poor substitute for joy. Conflict avoidance. Listen, I am a conflict avoider. If you looked up conflict avoidance in the dictionary, you would see a picture of me. Right? I'm the poster child for conflict avoidance. But conflict avoidance is not the same thing as peace. True peace requires conflict resolution. Ambition. I think ambition can be a good thing. Ambition can, can kind of drive us to do more, to be better. But ambition, when unchecked, can cripple patience. And patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Niceness. Listen, niceness has really been beat up the last few years. But there is nothing wrong with being nice. There's not. You can smile at people. You can speak to them, right? It's okay to be nice. It's not a bad thing. But niceness is not a substitute for kindness. And kindness is the fruit of the Spirit. Sentimentality. Listen, I love to think about the good old days. But sentimentality is not the same thing as goodness. Sentimentality has as its first cousin, its close relation, nostalgia. And nostalgia can be dangerous because we imagine that the old days were somehow perfect when it was the old days that got us to these days. And if we think these days are problematic, then we can't go back to the old days because it would repeat these days again. Don't ask me to say that. You say that to yourself five times real fast. Loyalty. Listen, I want you, maybe I don't. Loyalty in and of itself is not bad. But it's when loyalty is kind of raised to the highest virtue that it becomes troublesome or problematic. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And being faithful, I think, is a, is a truer, godlier, spirit-filled activity than simply loyalty. Passivity. Once again, this passivity often goes along with that kind of conflict avoidance or that tolerance. It's just being passive. But that's not what this God calls us to. It's not what the Spirit, the spirit enables us for. The Spirit-filled life is a life that's gentle, firm, but not passive. And then lastly, self-fulfillment. Again, in and of itself, there's not something wrong with self-fulfillment. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Denying the self. Preferring the other. That is, that is quintessentially the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the deferential one who prefers the Father, prefers the Son. To be filled with the Spirit is to prefer our neighbor. To care more for them than for us. To be worried more about their well-being than, than our own rights. The next week, we titled the series The Fire and the Rose. We borrowed that from T.S. Eliot. The fire here 
represents in Eliot's poem, The Fire of Pentecost. But the fire of Pentecost is both a fire that purifies us and a fire that purges us. It purges us of those ways that are unlike God. And it purifies us, giving us the life of the rose. The rose is the life that is the life that's kind of after. You see, God is not just the God of creation, but God is the God of the new creation. And the new creation is not simply starting over again. The new creation is not creation out of nothing. The new creation is a creation out of the old. God taking all that has been and making something good out of it. That's our hope. That's the only way I can live. That's a trust that leads us into the next week, which we titled, Sit Down and Shut Up. <laughs> that was Father's Day. <laughs> I just thought that was an oddly appropriate term for Father's Day, or title for Father's Day. But sit down and shut up is, a, is my translation of Jesus' words when he was on the boat and he told the, the, the storm to calm down. It's often translated, peace be still. But I'm an expert. You'll have to trust me on this one. I know the original language, and sit down and shut up is a very good translation of that. And he's speaking not to the disciples. He's not telling the disciples to sit down and shut up. He's telling the wind, he's telling the storm to sit down and shut up. It's the same language that he used for demons earlier in Mark's gospel. He tells the demon to shut up. He tells the wind to shut up because he wants the disciples to hear him. He wants the disciples to trust him. Some of you know Brendan Manning's work. He's most popular known for his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, Brent, uh, Manning is one of those spiritual writers, kind of in like the Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, Henry Nowen, Parker Palmer stream of things. But uh, one of his lesser known books is called Ruthless Trust. It's fantastic. It's kind of in one of my top five books. Not necessarily because it's maybe the, one of the five best books I've ever read, but because I read it at a time in my life that I really needed it. It was a gift of God to me at a time when I was having a lot of difficulty. And, and Manning's vision of this kind of ruthless trust kind of kept me alive spiritually during a really dark season of my life. And that's the point, I think, here, right? The story of Jesus is not a story where there are no storms. It's a, it's a story where Jesus is with us in the midst of the storm. And sometimes he calms those storms outside of us, and other times he calms the storms that are within us. It's a, the same type of trust, I think, that we put in another when we commit ourselves to marry them. Where we say to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. That's, that's a statement of trust. It's a statement of commitment. And God is committed to us, and Jesus is asking us to kind of put that level of trust in him. The next week, we titled it The Life After, The Spirit of Wholeness. We told the story of Veronica and Jairus' daughter, two different women whose lives had been totally decimated, and yet when they encountered Jesus, their life is made new. Again, it's that same rhythm, that same song, the soundtrack seems to be playing again and again. It's the story that, 
not that there are no problems in life, not that there aren't any storms, but that Jesus is with us in all of that. Veronica is healed and made whole. Jairus' daughter is raised up and given something to eat. What we need, of course, friends, is not to say in some glib way that everything is always good kind of faith. We don't need to pretend that way. Jairus didn't. Veronica didn't. But their faith is deep. I said this then and I'll say it again today. Our problem is that our faith is often too shallow to reach the depths of our pain and suffering. And so when we suffer and we experience pain, we give up our faith. Because the faith that we're giving up was so shallow that it couldn't really speak to our lives anyway. That's why we need a deep faith. That's why we need to learn to trust in God. Because we're going to need it. The next week we, we titled it The Cure of Caring. The Spirit of Presence. The Cure of Caring. It's one of the things that I, I love about what Jesus says. I, I didn't mention it that Sunday, but I'll mention it now. In Matthew 25, there's this list of things that Jesus is saying. He's recognizing his disciples because when he was thirsty, they gave him something to drink. When he was hungry, they, he gave, they gave him something to eat. When he was um, uh, naked, they gave him uh, something to wear. When he was a stranger, they welcomed him in. When he was sick, they cared for him. And when he was a prisoner, they came and visited him. To which they said, Lord, when were you any of those things? Like, I don't remember seeing you naked. When were you in jail? Right? But what's interesting about that passage is it starts with things that I think we can fix. Like if somebody's thirsty, I can get them something to drink and they're not thirsty again. They're not thirsty, right? If they're hungry, I, I can feed them. If they're naked, we can clothe them. If they're a stranger, we can welcome them in. But what's interesting about what Jesus says there, he doesn't say, I was sick and you cured me. He says, I was sick and you cared for me. I was a prisoner. He doesn't say, I was a prisoner and you broke me out. <laughs> you liberated me. He says, I was a prisoner and you came to visit me. We do what we can do. And we leave the rest to God. In that story, there was the story of the disciples being sent out, of them shaking the dust off their feet, a sign that they had not been shown hospitality. Like the one way in which Jesus measured the villages that the disciples had been sent out to is whether or not they had shown hospitality. Like that is, again, quintessential. It's like what we do. What should we do with others? We show them hospitality. We wash their feet. We offer them something to drink. The next Sunday, we titled An Air of Mystery. I liked it because a little play on words there. The Spirit of Surprise. This is a big one, folks. Because we serve a living God, we're not just serving a God that once upon a time existed. We're not just reading a dead text. I mean, I didn't cite this then, but I'll cite it now. 
when Paul talks about the days gone by, he talks about letters written in stone. That's a not-so-vague reference, right, to the Ten Commandments. But then he says, but now the Spirit is writing on our hearts a letter of Christ. Like we live and we serve a living God so that what they could not have anticipated was that the Messiah that had been promised would not just be the King of Israel, but would be the Savior of the world. And not just the Savior of the world, but the Lord of the world. It's master, but not the kind of master that you're thinking about. A whole new way of being in the world. I quoted that, that Sunday, the story from my seminary days about the, the, the midnight uh, prayer meeting where we learned that night when my professor washed the feet of that lady that it's not when we get our lives together that we'll be ready to serve God It's that in the practice of serving others, God puts our lives together. I don't know what the future holds. But I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Because I believe the same God that led the Hebrews through the wilderness, the same God that surprised them with the reality and the revelation of Jesus is the same God that's pouring out the Spirit on us today. And will lead us into the future, whatever that may be. We then preached a sermon called The House That Jesus Built, The the Spirit of Togetherness. You see, of all the things the Spirit does, one of the most consistent things the Spirit does is to point us to Jesus. And in that week, we saw that Jesus was the, the Son that was promised, making us the brothers and sisters fellow heirs, that Jesus was this branch, this descendant, again, making us the fruit, that Jesus was the shepherd, which makes us the sheep, and that Jesus is the builder, which makes us the house. And here's, here's another point that I need you to know, both in terms of we can't leave this series of Life in the Spirit nor can we get ready for this next series that we're going into in the fall, which starts next week, which we've titled uh, Friends, uh, the one where everybody's welcome. The Spirit will point us to Jesus, but following Jesus never ends with us just looking at Jesus. Following Jesus will eventually lead us to the point where we look at others. Do you know the old Christian chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Do you know that one? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love it. I sing it. I believe it's true. But with the help of somebody else in the Twitterverse, I was commenting on that song one day and suggesting that it needed another verse because to look at Jesus is not the end of the story because to look at Jesus eventually leads us to looking at others. And some musician, some songwriter, tweeted back at me and said, well, it could go like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face. This is the new part. And the things of earth will soon reappear with his love poured out on this place. I think that's what happens, friends. That's the house that Jesus built. Because I probably should rephrase that because it's not simply the house that Jesus built or has built. It's the house that Jesus is building. It's still under construction, both in the sense that we're still under construction, but the sense that there's still more people yet to hear the good news of the gospel. There's still more who need to be introduced to their father to know that their sins are forgiven, to know that mercy and grace has been extended to them. And we, the good news is, we get to be part of that. We get to be agents of those things. So to look to Jesus might be for the things of the world to kind of fade in the sense that the, the cares of this life we realize are temporary and we can bask in the glory of Jesus. But it doesn't take long in basking in that glory before those needs of the world kind of come back into focus and we realize that we, we can be the ones that can serve, that can be the answer to those prayers. Which leads us then to last week, more than enough, the spirit of abundance. And we told that story about the feeding of the 5,000 and that kind of alternative reading that I was suggesting to you where we, we literally get to kind of embody the answer to other people's prayers, not as the beneficiaries of it, but as the benefactors, that we get to be a blessing. We get full bellies and full souls. This leads us then to this, all of that to say now, one and all, this is for you and for your family and for your classmates and your coworkers and your neighbors and the strangers that are walking down the aisle with you at Publix or wherever. This is life in the spirit. I'm going to reread a bit of what Zach read to us. Not, not the whole piece, but I want us to hear again the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. He says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's leave that there just for a second. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Listen, I realize that sometimes it does take effort. It's not always easy to be with me. I'm opinionated, right? I, I, I like, I've got funny taste in movies and TV shows. But you need to make an effort to put up with me. <laughs> it's what God's telling you to do through the Apostle Paul. And with each other. I think, listen, I know it feels like we've been kicked in the gut this last year or two. But I, I'm, not just, I'm not just speaking out of my own 
hopes or wishes or desires. I really have a sense from God, I believe, that our future as a church is brighter than our past. That the impact that we're going to have on people's lives, that their lives are going to be transformed, that, the, that their, their hearts are going to be softened, that their courage is going to be full, that they're going to live lives, that we're going to have an impact, not just on one another, but on our community. But I think it's going to take this on our part, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's just us, folks. Let's look at the next part. He says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Man, you get the point? One and all? The one Lord, one baptism, one Father. There's not a lot of options here. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together to every, uh, be, by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. This is what we've been made for. It is what we've been saved for. I don't want to put too much emphasis here on prepositions. But I really do believe that the gospel is not so much saving us from something as it is saving us for something. We are being saved for the world, not from it. We're being saved for others, not from them. Like that's the gospel. Again, to be with Christ is to be in the world where Christ is, loving and serving. So let us commit to God. I'm being serious here. Let us commit to God and to one another to live in the unity of spirit and in the bond of peace. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.